guys doing? <laughs> Good. Well, like Pastor Zeus said, my name is Morgan, and I am the Go Kids pastor here at River Valley Shakopee Campus. And I just want to take a moment, actually, just to touch on that and just tell you guys how big of a privilege it is to get to work with your guys' kids every single week, week in and week out. And I just want to also share that if you ever wonder if kids can experience the presence of God, the answer is yes. Those kids are back there taking steps in their faith and in their relationship with Jesus, and it's amazing to watch and be a part of. But this weekend, like um, Pastor Zeus was saying, is called Home Team Weekend. I used to call it hometown weekend because it reminds me of The Bachelor, but it's not. It's home team weekend. Um, and Pastor Gabby brought a great message for service, and it's just an honor to speak today. And just a huge um, compliment to Pastor Rob, our lead pastor, and his just belief in this, in his staff and just his willingness to let us step into new things and be stretched. And also, huge shout out to you, Pastor Zeus. Thank you for the opportunity today. Um, today we're going to, yeah. <laughs> Today we're going to be continuing to talk about um, the theme of joy that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Because how many of you know just because Christmas is over doesn't mean joy has to be done, right? Now there's probably two types of people in this room right now. The type of person who's super, super sad because Christmas is over and it is the greatest holiday ever and you love Christmas. How many of you, that's you? You're like, no. <laughs> and then the other half of you are probably more like me where you already have your Christmas tree down, your decorations are put away, you've cleaned your house. My mom was doing that for the last few days. She was like, it is done. I'm like that too. How many of you are like that? It's put away already. Yes. Well, I was reflecting on Christmas and just just the craziness of Christmas and the things, the busyness and all you do and the amazing services we had. And I kind of start to think about the weird things we do in the month of December. I mean, like, seriously, think about it. We do some pretty weird things that are totally normal in December and at Christmas time. That would be super weird any other time of the year, like drinking eggnog. Who actually likes eggnog? If I came to you in July, there's a lot. I don't. If I came to people in July and was like, hey, you want a cup of eggnog? You'd be like, no, that's gross. But at Christmas, it's delicious. It's magic. Or how about showing up to a random stranger's house, knocking on their door, and when they open it, you just start singing a song to them. That's weird. That is so weird. But at Christmas time, we call it caroling, okay? Or how about creepily driving past people's houses and staring at the decor outside of their house? You'd probably get the cops called on you if you did it any other time of the year. And my personal favorite, putting kids on a random stranger's lap and telling them to smile for a picture. 11 months out of the year, we say, stay away from strangers. But one month of the year, we encourage it and tell them to smile. <laughs> But there's also really great things that happen around Christmas time and in the month of December. People tend to be a lot more generous. People do random acts of kindness for other people. We spend more time with loved ones than we do any other time of the year. We volunteer our time for good causes. There's a lot of good things that come from Christmas. We find a lot of really great activities to fill our calendars around the holidays that bring us joy. But how come on December 24th, we come together and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the greatest gift ever, and we have all this joy, but on December 26th, it's just supposed to go away? Well, I'm here to tell you today that it, it shouldn't go away the day after Christmas because joy is not seasonal. Pastor Zeus touched on this at our Christmas services, but there is a difference between happiness and joy. 
Happiness, sadness, frustration, excitement all come from the circumstances around us. But joy is in us because it comes from Christ. And when we think about joy, the last few weeks when we brought this topic up, this song keeps running through my head that I heard as a kid, and I'm about to sing it for you. So feel free to join in if you know it. (laughs) But it goes, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart, down in my heart, I've got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart to stay. You guys knew it. That was great. (laughs) But I think of that song because it's so true. Joy is in our hearts. And the reason it's in our hearts is because Christ lives in us. And Christ is the source of joy. And when Christ lives in us, we have his love. And his love overpowers any circumstance that we might be in. Today, I want to look at the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians, just for some context, was written by um, Paul. And Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. But in this specific circumstance, he's writing a letter to the church of Philippi. Okay, so he's writing this letter. But the really crazy thing about this is the circumstance he's in when he's writing this letter. He's actually in prison. Now, just to give you a visual of what that prison's like, because it's not what we picture nowadays, like our prisons. And actually, back in Bible times, prison wasn't always so bad, depending on where you were in prison, what you were in prison for. But this time when Paul was in prison, it wasn't the best. And yes, he was in prison multiple times. This is his third time. But the theologian says, he describes this first century prison that he was in as neglected darkness and stench, which gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance. So that's where Paul is when he's writing this letter. Now, I think we could all agree that if Paul was angry, frustrated, mad, depressed, if those were the emotions, the feelings he was having in this situation, that that would be justifiable, right? We could agree with that. But the thing is, Paul didn't have those feelings. Actually, he had the exact opposite, and he had joy, despite the circumstance he was in. And not only did he not have enough joy for himself, but in the letter that he's writing, the book of Philippians, which is the letter that he's writing, he is encouraging the people he's writing to to have joy as well. In the book of Philippians, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice 16 times in only 104 verses because he knew that it wasn't about his circumstance, but it was about the source that gives him joy. I want to focus then on a few verses specifically within Philippians, which is Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts in your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't think it was a mistake that Paul starts this passage out by talking about rejoicing. And I really don't think it was a mistake that he repeats it again. Because Paul doesn't say, hey, guys, let's rejoice in the Lord when our life's going really, really great. Let's rejoice in the Lord when we get a promotion at work. Let's rejoice in the Lord when our family's getting along for the first time in a really long time. No, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And then he emphasizes it again by saying, and again, I say it again, rejoice. 
Now, I like this verse a lot because I think it breaks it down for us into three different things. It breaks it down into the why. Why should we rejoice in the Lord always? The how. How do we rejoice in the Lord always? And the what. What does rejoicing do for us when we do it always in the Lord? First off, the why. I believe it tells us in this verse, why can we rejoice in the Lord always? Because God is near. He is near to us always. A preacher said once that just because you can't see God's hand working your life doesn't mean that he's not there. It's really easy when we know God's working, when he's giving us blessings, when he's doing miracles, when he's blessing us financially, he's providing for us to say, oh, thank you, Lord, and bring thanksgiving and rejoice because we know he's there. But even when we can't see him, he's still there. And that is our why behind why we can rejoice in the Lord always. And then the how. How do we rejoice in the Lord always? That is the key because it's not always easy. But it tells us in this verse, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That's how we can rejoice in the Lord always. And basically what those things mean is by having a relationship with Jesus. That's how you rejoice in the Lord always. By having an intentional relationship and intentionally pursuing Jesus is how we have joy. It doesn't say, hey, come to church on Sundays, hear a message, be filled, be encouraged, be filled up, and then hope that that is enough to carry joy throughout your week until the next time you're here or the next time you're in an environment with other believers. No, it's daily choosing to have a relationship with Jesus, daily praying, daily talking to him, daily bringing your thanksgiving to him. And then the what. What does it do for us? when we choose to be joyful. It guards our hearts and our minds is what the word says, because when we choose to rejoice in Jesus and who he is and what he did for us, then Jesus gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Maybe you've had that moment. Maybe you've walked through the trial and you're like, I still was able to have joy. I still was able to have peace. And you know personally that that only can come from a greater source, which is Jesus. Or maybe you have seen somebody walk through something horrible, horrible suffering, and you think, man, I would never want to walk through something like that. But yet they, that person is a rock through that trial. And you ask how, because a greater source lives within them. That's how. So that's the what. And also, when we're able to rejoice in the Lord always, he gives us the peace, but then he also protects our hearts and our minds. You see, if we do it on our own, if we try to be in our own flesh and protect our hearts and our minds, it's exhausting. But when we choose to rejoice in the Lord, he gives us peace and he protects our hearts and our minds. I think what we can learn from Paul is that the source of joy was not in his circumstances, but it was from the spirit that lived within him. Because he was dead to his flesh, but alive in Christ. We are called to live a life that is always joyful and not just a joy that is seasonal. We're not called to put Jesus in a box, right? We put our Christmas decorations in a box and we put them in storage and we don't look at them again until next Christmas. But that's not what we're supposed to do with Jesus. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's kind of funny because whenever I hear the word perseverance, I always picture runners in a race. Now, I know we have a lot of people in this church who have run marathons, 
or multiple marathons, to which I would say you're crazy, <laughs> because I ran one race in my life, and it was a 10K, and I ran it with my husband, and we were in college, and it was over 4th of July weekend. We're like, let's do it. It'll be fun. It'll be great. We were very prideful because <clears throat> we were like, we're athletes. I played soccer in college. He played basketball. And the furthest we ran when we trained was three miles. In case you don't know, we were about to run 6.2. So we were like, oh, it's, it's what's three more miles? It's no big deal. So we get to the race and we're running. We start this race and I'm feeling real good the first three miles. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm on my adrenaline high. I'm like, who doesn't love running races? This feels great. And then we got halfway through and I started to decline very quickly. And my poor husband was just trying to be encouraging. And he's like, come on, we got this. Little did he know every single word he said just made me more and more frustrated inside. <laughs> I mean, my legs hurt. I had a side ache. I couldn't breathe. Basically at that point, I was just putting one foot in front of the other to just finish the race at this point. And we get to this hill and you can see the finish line, okay? And my husband looks at me and he goes, let's sprint to the end. And I'm like, worst idea ever. No, actually something inside of me snapped and I went off a little bit and was like, oh, you're so annoying. I don't even want to see you anymore. You sprint to the finish line. Just get out of here. So he starts sprinting Well, I'm super competitive. And I'm like, oh, I cannot let him beat me. So now I am sprinting to the finish line, which is the last thing I wanted to do. And we finished this race. And basically, we both learned that we didn't train nearly enough to have the endurance we needed to finish the race strong. We didn't. We just thought, eh, we'll wing it. We'll be all right. We'll be able to do it. And I for sure did not have a spirit of joy throughout that entire race. That is for sure. <laughs> but what I learned is that in order to have endurance, you have to be willing to be stretched. And in the context of our relationship with Jesus, I think of endurance like this. Endurance is faith stretched out over time by testing. I, I didn't just close my eyes and visualize myself running a race and then automatically had the endurance to run the race. That's not how it works. You have to put the hard work in. You have to endure the trials and the pain to build the endurance. You see, the first time you go through a trial, it might not be natural to just go, I'm so joyful, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. But through time and choosing to have joy through every single trial you go through, you build that endurance. When I think of some people who have the greatest endurance in the world, I think of people in the Olympics, the best of the best, the greatest athletes there are. But I think their endurance has something a little extra to it, and it's called resilience. I believe as Christ followers that our faith and our joy should have a resilience to it. If Jesus could endure the cross, how much more so should me and you be able to have joy in the midst of our trials and our suffering? The definition of resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, a toughness. I think it's time for us as Christ followers to have a resilient joy. I'm not saying we can't be sad or angry or grieve at times, but what I am saying is that if we have a resilient joy, it helps us to bounce back quickly. We have to be able to look at our circumstances and say, I may have lost my job, but Jesus is the ultimate provider. I may feel far away from loved ones, but Jesus is the one who brings us close to our heavenly father. I may feel persecuted when I stand up for what I believe in, but greater is he who lives in the world 
than, than who lives inside of me. I may be facing serious health problems, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I am trusting in his promises. I may have lost a loved one and I'm currently grieving, but though pain and sorrow comes in the night, joy comes in the morning. Come on, church. Sometimes we have to look past our circumstances and look to the truth that we know about Jesus. You see, we're able to rejoice even in suffering because suffering makes us more like Christ. Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He is the reason for why we live. Jesus showing up at Christmas wasn't the end, but joy continues beyond Christmas. If we want to be able to have joy all the time, then we have to be able to look past the birth of Jesus at Christmas time and look to the cross. Yes, Christmas was sweet baby Jesus being born into this earth. And it was the greatest gift ever. But it was the greatest gift ever because that birth of Jesus led to the cross. The baby Jesus might have brought joy into the world, but the cross sealed joy. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. Things are going to try to steal your joy, my joy, our joy, but we have to rise above. Jesus rose above when he endured the cross for us, and he died on the cross because he saw the joy it would bring from fulfilling the very reason God sent him to this earth, which was to die on a cross for our sins, for me and for you. You see, when Jesus saw the cross, I believe that he didn't see his pain, his suffering, the trial that was ahead of him, his circumstance. I believe he was able to look past it and see the joy he had from his father, his heavenly father. When you have joy, even when you're walking through a hard situation, that's when people see Jesus because that's a joy that doesn't make sense. It's a joy that comes from a source greater than me and than you, the source that lives inside of us. If you're here today and you know Jesus is more than a sweet baby Jesus, as more than a Christmas Jesus, but as Jesus is Lord and Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords, then you can have joy all the time. Not just a seasonal joy, not just joy at Christmas time, but a joy that's everlasting because that's the joy Jesus brought to this world when he died for us.